Okay, it's time to learn everything you need to know about the history of fair use in six minutes or less. I'm Daniel Dennis-Jones, and this is Radio Berkman. Let's start the clock. The song you're hearing behind me is Pretty Woman, co-written by singer Roy Orbison and released in 1964. The copyright belongs to Orbison's publisher, Acuff Rose Music. Let's fast forward 25 years. It's 1989, and the rap group Two Live Crew releases the song Pretty Woman on their album As Clean As They Wanna Be. Shortly thereafter, Acuff Rose sues Two Live Crew's label for copyright infringement. Basically, Acuff Rose says, hey, this song isn't yours. According to the Copyright Act of 1976, this song is ours. You want to play it, you have to pay us. Copyright law gives creators, like authors and artists, the exclusive right to copy, modify, distribute, perform, and display their creative works. That's Leo Angelikos from the Berkman Center's Cyber Law Clinic. Copyright law was originally created as an incentive for artists and creators. If creators aren't worrying about whether someone might steal their work, they're more likely to share their ideas with the public. This kind of sharing in turn helps to create more ideas, as well as products and jobs and art and whole industries, all that good stuff. In the Pretty Woman case, the publisher, Acuff Rose, owned the copyright and therefore had the sole right to copy, modify, and distribute that song. But this is where things get really interesting. This case made it all the way to the Supreme Court. In the end, two live crew won. They were allowed to do their own spin on the song without paying and without permission from Acuff Rose. And here's why. Two Live Crew's defense was that their version of Pretty Woman was a parody of the original. For that reason, they argued it fell into this safe zone under copyright law called fair use. Fair use is a defense to copyright infringement. Fair use lets you use someone's copyrighted work without permission as long as you do it in a way that adds new meaning to the work. Uh, the Supreme Court found Two Live Crew's version to be a parody and it was thus a fair use because it ridiculed the innocent nature and outdated tropes in the original song. That's Leo again and Olga Slobodjanyuk from Berkman's Cyberlaw Clinic. And they say that what makes this court opinion so interesting is that there's actually no explicit mention of parody in copyright law. Taking inspiration from a precedent set by a 19th century court case, Congress decided to build fair use into copyright law in 1976, realizing that it helps fulfill the law's original purpose of incentivizing creators. Uh, and fair use is actually a really flexible doctrine, and it can cover a wide range of works. It's central to fulfilling the constitutional purpose, and it balances the public's First Amendment rights against the monopolies granted by copyright. A monopoly in this sense is the fact that one person, or one band, or one copyright owner has complete and total control over a piece of content, and everything that gets done with it. Recording, performing, translating, remixing, adapting, modifying, you name it. And there are a number of examples where the use of copyrighted work is important to furthering some other goal. It could be an artistic use, it could be in journalism, or for some kind of educational use. And when judges and lawyers are considering whether something is fair use, they look at these four factors. First, the purpose and character of the use. Courts have construed this to mean that a fair use is one that transforms a copyrighted work to add new expression, meaning, or message. For example, a student can quote a stanza of a poem in an essay where it's critiquing the poem because that critique will make the use transformative. Transformative, that's the key word. Are you using a portion of the copyrighted work in a context that makes a new statement? 
If so, that might be a fair use. A good example of the transformative factor occurred in a court case where documentary filmmakers used a John Lennon song paired with images of the Cold War to suggest that Lennon's message was naive. The court found that this use was transformative because the filmmakers criticized Lennon's lyrics in a way that added new meaning to them. The second factor asks how expressive the genre of the work is and whether it's published or not. If a creator hasn't published their work yet, it's often more strongly protected by copyright law because they should have control over when it first goes public. The third factor asks how much of the original work was taken. This inquiry includes both a quantitative and a qualitative component. For instance, the less word you copy, the more likely it is to be to be a fair use. So if you're literally copying someone's entire book and republishing it, you're probably not going to get away with calling it fair use. But if you're quoting a small passage, you probably will. And the fourth factor asks whether the use would replace the demand for the original work in the marketplace. Uh, So for example, if someone publishes a glossary that defines terms from the Harry Potter series, Uh, This sort of glossary could usurp the demand for a similar glossary by J.K. Rowling, and courts might not find that to be a fair use. In other words, if people are consuming the thing you created as a substitute for something created by the original creator, you're walking on thin ice. This fourth factor of fair use also plays an interesting role in that Supreme Court case we mentioned earlier. Two years before the case went to the Supreme Court, a federal appeals court ruled that Two Live Crew had a, quote, blatantly commercial purpose in recording its version. In other words, the demand for the parody replaced that of the original work, and that should deprive the Two Live Crew song of all protection under copyright law. But the Supreme Court said no to the lower court's decision, which validated parodies under fair use, even when someone makes money off of them as a creative work deserving of consideration. And that's everything you need to know about fair use in six minutes or less. Celebrate fair use by going to fairuseweek.org where you can find infographics, videos, and all kinds of resources about fair use. Also, go to the show notes for today's episode at cyber.law.harvard.edu where you can find even more treats about fair use. This episode was written by Leo Angelikos, Elizabeth Gillis, Daniel Dennis-Jones, and Olga Slobodanyuk, and edited by Elizabeth Gillis, with special thanks this week going to Andres Lambana Bermudez of the Youth and Media Team and Chris Babbitts. We're produced out of the Berkman Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts. 